Hello, welcome back. <laughs> so now I tell everybody in the room to be quiet. Shush. Turn into a teacher again. Um, well, it's, it's my delight and joy to um, welcome uh, Jazz and Tim and their sons, Noah and JJ, uh, to be with us this morning. So, uh, Jazz, how long have we known each other for? No idea. No idea. Years. 20 years or so. So um, Jazz and Tim are now worshipping at uh, Hope Church, which is a long time ago. I used to work at Hope Church, so about 10, 15 years ago. And so I know uh, Tim's sister, Andrea, very well. Um, and so, yeah, so we've got a long history, and it's really great that Jazz is uh, speaking to us today. Um, and so I'm just going to hand straight over to you. Cool. Um, I, she's great. So anyway, here we go. Thank you. Thank you for making us feel so welcome already. And um, I'm excited to be in a building. I'm not going to lie to you. It's like I'm in a building with other people. And, um, and it was such a joy to be able to worship and just to have you guys lead us. Thank you so much for leading us so incredibly well. And I'm in awe of all the people that are in the back that you can't see, but I can see right now um, doing all this wonderful I don't know, stuff that they do that makes it all happen. So thank you very much. I, I am actually in awe. I don't actually know Ashford very well. I have been here a few times, uh, you know, obviously to Designer Outlet Centre. Uh, and then, but my overriding memory of Ashford is actually, we, well, we were, we were those parents, we, we were those parents that woke our kids up at three o'clock in the morning, one Friday morning, and we shook them awake, and, we, and, and they were very little at the time, and we gave them a Mickey Mouse t-shirt and a Mickey Mouse cap and Mickey Mouse socks, and eventually the little one went, where are we going, where are we going, we're going Disneyland. <laughs> And, um, and we managed to get them in, smuggle them into the car, drive to Ashford. And we arrived in Ashford as the sun was kind of breaking. And we got onto the little train thing and arrived at Disneyland Paris and had a fabulous weekend. But so Ashford for me is like this, this beautiful portal that takes us to wonderful places. <laughs> so I have good memories of Ashford. Um, it was funny waking them up this morning, which was at half past seven, significantly later than half past three. We had a similar reaction this morning at half past seven let me assure you but they're here they're here which is great um, but today I am um, what Barney didn't say is I, I've served the church as an evangelist so that's that's what I do day in day out if you like and uh, so whenever I preach and wherever I get to preach I'm always going to end up preaching on why we need to be on mission that's like my goal is to help you guys to just kind of look you know that you're on mission but I hope that today as we look at scripture together that actually just just you get a little bit more revelation and I'm going to look at a really familiar passage today one that we all know uh, one that we've read many times if you've got children You've probably read it to your children, and if you've uh, done any Sunday school kind of work, you, you've taught it there. But I'm really just trusting that you're just going to come with like an eager anticipation for, for more revelation from God today. Is that cool? So I'm in Mark 2. So Mark 2, I'll give you a moment to turn there, and I'm going to start at verse 1. And, um, and it's the story of Jesus healing the lame man who you know gets dropped from the the ceiling let's read the story together a few days later when Jesus entered Capernaum the people heard that he'd come home they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door and he preached the word to them some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd they made an opening in the roof above Jesus 
pieces by digging through it and then lowered the mat in, lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Who does this, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. It's a wonderful story. And um, let's just to put it into a little bit of context, Jesus is at this point in his ministry, if you like, um, uh, his fame had grown. He was known as the doer of miracles and this incredible teacher. And people followed him. And at this point, he'd come home. He's probably at Simon's house. And crowds gathered to follow him wherever he went. And so in this story, we find that a large crowd has gathered in the home and outside the door. And Jesus takes advantage of this opportunity and begins to preach to them. You know, if I had a crowd gathered outside my door, I think I'd probably take, take that opportunity as well. But while he's preaching, there is a distraction. The roof begins to fall apart. I know that when I'm preaching and I'm looking at everybody, I'm distracted if I see somebody else talking to somebody else. I'm like, what are they talking about? Have I, you know, have I, do I look weird? Has something happened? Like, I'm, I'm distracted that easily. And uh, so I can't imagine what it must be like to be sitting in a room and to see the ceiling come apart. Like, do you run? But um, whatever's going on, uh, this man is being dropped down from the ceiling to the floor on his mat. But this is actually the fav my favourite part of the story because here we find four men with a deep enough love for their paralysed friend who find a resourceful way of getting into Jesus. They'd heard of Jesus, they'd heard of his fame, they knew that if they could get their friend to Jesus, he would be healed. And I don't know what the relationship was like between the four men and this paralyzed man, whether they were all related or whether they just kind of grown up together or just like, you know, spent time together or whatever. But there was a deep enough love between them. There was a crazy enough love between them and enough compassion between them and enough faith within them that they were prepared to take the risk of breaking open somebody's roof and lowering the man to Jesus. Of course, this man could have been healed on another day, but who knew Jesus' diary? He didn't carry around his you know, iPhone with his social calendar engaged in on it. Who knew when Jesus was going to be back in town? But for these guys, they saw the urgency of helping their friend meet Jesus, and it came down to the relationship that they all had between them. And so the men proceed to lower the paralytic on his bed. And then at that point, this incredible exchange takes place. It's actually quite scandalous. Because Jesus doesn't say, be healed. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
And that's like a really random thing to say. It's like a really odd thing. There are three things. One is, first of all, Jesus is talking to another adult in the same way a father would speak to a child. There's one thing me saying to my boys, or, you know, son, but I wouldn't say that to any other adult. That would just be weird. And then secondly, you would expect that the paralytic is obviously looking for healing and not the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has never pronounced the forgiveness of sins thus far in his ministry. He's not known for that. He's known for healing people. So that was a bit of a weird comment. And thirdly, if the man was actually looking for his sins to be forgiven, well, there was a whole different system in place for that. You weren't going to come to Jesus for that. You're supposed to go to the temple, take his sacrifice. The priest made a sacrifice and did all the things correctly by the law. And once that had happened, then you were forgiven. But there was a place to go, a priest to see, and laws to stick to. So suddenly Jesus is declaring that he can forgive sins. And you can understand why the teachers of the law that are sitting there are like, well, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But of course, the way that Mark is writing, he's beginning to show the reader, he's beginning to tell us who Jesus actually is, the Son of Man. In the room, as I said, are lots of people, including scribes, intelligent people who knew the law and they were outraged. And Jesus claimed to be God in that sentence and because of his disregard for the temple. They think that Jesus is blaspheming. Only God is permitted to, to forgive sins. Let me try and explain it a little bit more. The Bible's concept of sin always relates to God as the primary one being sinned against. Even sins that are being directed at other people, all sin is first and foremost a sin against God. Thus, for Jesus to forgive people of their sin would be like saying that he was the one who had been sinned against. As you know, as you already know, I've got two sons, Noah and JJ. And sometimes they like to show their deep, deep love for one another by fighting. And they throw some good punches at one another. And there are some screams in our house and lots of shouts. But I can imagine if JJ walloped Noah in the face and Noah doubles over in pain and I walk over to Noah while he's doubled over in pain and I put my hand on his shoulder and then look at JJ and go, JJ, I forgive you. You can imagine the sheer wail that would come from Noah. Mom, you can't forgive him. Only I can forgive him. He didn't hurt you. He hurt me. So you can understand why these scribes and these intelligent people of the law are confused. Why is Jesus saying he's forgiving people? God is the one who has been sinned against. So if Jesus is pronouncing the forgiveness of this man's sins, he is assuming the status of God himself, the one against whom all sins are primarily against. But for Jesus to proclaim the forgiveness of sins outside of the law, outside of the temple, outside of, uh, sorry, outside of the temple, outside of the priesthood, and outside of the sacrifices that were written in the law, reveals 
that Jesus has come to bring a new means of forgiveness, a new covenant, which is what we were celebrating last week as we celebrated the epic events of Easter. But as Christians, we celebrate those events every single day of our lives. He's risen, and Jesus brings a new means of forgiveness. We are are forgiven because of Jesus, and I love that. But the scribes do not understand this and are naturally offended. They're like, this man is claiming to do what only God can do. Blasphemy, wrong. But Jesus discerns their thoughts. And do you know what? He pokes a little bit more. And he says, he says to them, which is easier to say, your sins, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk? It's a puzzling question as it appears to have multiple answers. On one hand, if only God can forgive sins, it would seem harder of the two tasks. One doesn't necessarily need to be God to work miracles the way that one needs to be divine to forgive sins. But Jesus asks them, which is easier to say? What would make, which would make rise, take up your bed and walk more difficult? Because of rising up and, you know, being healed is visually verifiable there and then, like you can see that, but you can't see somebody's sins being forgiven. But Jesus wants the scribes and the crowds to know that he has the authority to forgive sins. And then he demonstrates it, he verifies it by saying to the paralytic man, rise up, get up, walk, and he is healed. But in this story, Jesus reveals our greatest need, which isn't a physical healing. You might be here this morning or watching on the screen thinking, well, you know, I ache in my body or I've done my right leg in or this has happened and that's happened. But actually, he isn't talking about that as his greatest need. He's talking our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sins. So that, and that happened through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if that means that Jesus has forgiven you your sins, even if you don't feel forgiven or feel like Jesus could never forgive you for what you've done, it doesn't matter because you don't create your own forgiveness, do you? My feelings or what I'm thinking about life at that particular moment doesn't change who I am when I know who I am in Jesus. I can stand before God completely clean, completely whole, even when I feel rubbish, even when you feel that you are not worthy. Jesus qualified you and made you worthy. Jesus paid the price. And no matter how many times your faith feels weak or you feel unsure, your standing never changes. It's safe to assume that the paralytic man and his friends were surprised to hear, son, your sins are forgiven, rather than rise up, be healed. If you're incapable of walking today, life is difficult for you. It would be. But back in Jesus' day, back with this guy, life would have almost been impossible. There was no government-provided safety net, no health care. There was no social provision made for him. There were no benefits. And this is primarily a farming area or a fishing area. I mean, unless you could do those things or at least go and sell stuff in the marketplace, you were relying on other people to feed you. You were simply at the mercy of handouts from family and other people. So needless to say, this man's position was dire. It was really dire. And yet even when he was presented before Jesus, the thing that Jesus dealt with first and most foremost was the condition of his soul, the forgiveness of his sins. But today and in this season, the thing that I want to highlight to you is those four friends. 
I think that the best way and the most effective way of reaching our nation, our communities, is actually simply through friendship. One-on-one, -on -one, genuine, real, authentic friendships. Where you demonstrate who you are by the way that you live and the things that you say and do. Even when you get it wrong, that's okay. Because putting it right is as powerful as getting it right in the first place. And that's really important to know. You're not setting yourself up as somebody so important, oh, I've got it all right and I've got it all you know, sewn up. Because we haven't, because we're all learning and we're all growing and we're all being changed day by day because of the incredible work of Jesus. And so by modeling it in front of people, by connecting with people, we are helping people become disciples, which is what we're called to do, to become disciple makers, not converts. We're not there to make converts. God does the converting. We make disciples, and we do that through authentic friendships. We were made to be in relationship with one another, and connecting with others is literally an opportunity to help people encounter the love of Jesus. Each relationship that you have has the potential for you to be a mat-carrying, roof-destroying introducer to Jesus. And I love the fact that there are four people involved in this story because that speaks of relationship, that speaks of family, that speaks of community, that together they carried the weight of their friend. You know, we do this together. And I do know that in this last season, the last 14 months or so of our lives, building friendships hasn't been easy. We haven't been able to invest in the way that we would normally do. You can't have a drink with a colleague after work and you, you can't uh, go around to each other's houses at the moment, um, but you can do gardens. Um, but we've, we've been stuck and it's been difficult. And actually, I love the fact that we've all had to get super creative. I love the fact that we all had to buy into technology in a way that many of us probably wouldn't have bought into. But we've got a hold of Zoom. We understand live streaming. We know that our WhatsApp never stops. And, um, and we've had to get creative. And obviously, I'm not encouraging you to be so creative that you take the roof off your neighbor's house, because that would be wrong. But you might want to take a fence panel away from the garden. <coughs> but my challenge to you this morning is literally to go and ask God, where can I take the roof off in the relationships that I have? And obviously, I don't mean that literally. But in the relationships that you have, in the people that you know, the people that you have communicated with, the people that you're building community with, what, where are the access points where I can minister something of the love of Jesus? Where can I lift them up so they can become all that they can be in who Jesus is? I think in the last 14 months or so, we've been in a season of training. And God has been training us in all sorts of new ways. And we've had to take God at his word when he says he's everywhere all of the time. And we've had to take him at his word when he says that he's with us, that we're never on our own, even when we felt on our own in the last few months. We've had to grow in our capacity to engage with God and to serve others. We've had to be super creative. We've learned a lot of skills in the last 14 months. We need to look at how we can build new friendships and maintain the old ones. Um, I 
I'm naturally an extrovert, I know that. And um, so I don't struggle with talking to people in the supermarket line, you know. And actually, while we have been lining up over the last year or so, I've talked to so many people, but that's the way I'm made. I'm like, I'm gonna talk to people and just build friendships with them. And that's what I've been doing in our community. That's just something that I've done. I just wanna throw that out as a, a free BTE. In this season, our world has become smaller, more intense. And although this country has been in lockdown, as of tomorrow, we begin to sort of unlock a little bit more, don't we? Uh, we know that God has never been on lockdown. And he's calling you to make disciples. And so my encouragement to you is to go again, to build community. You've got this fabulous building. You've got this incredible resource. I know that you've done your fair share thing. I know that you've uh, got this community groups that you're doing. Do more. I'm encouraging you to do more. And the reason that I'm bold enough to say do more is because we have a God of the more, a God whose resources are unlimited and a God who wants to bless you with those resources. So remind yourself that you're in a neighbourhood for a reason and for such a time as this. <laughs>